All right, welcome to episode nine. This is what to do when you're stuck, overwhelmed, anxious, out of time, frozen, and don't know what to do, gay. Well, a lot of people I work with, probably like you, whether they're in a couple relationship or in a business relationship, don't get around to consulting you or me until they're massively stuck. And Mm -hmm. so over the past 30 or 40 years, I developed a whole map for helping people get unstuck. And I'm really excited to share that. And so it's it's very practical, but it also has a lot of cosmic overtones also. Yeah, it does. One of the things that I really uh, enjoyed about this episode, besides your map, you also really get into four types of fear, what they mean and how they keep you in that cyclical stuck mode but we also dive deep into the types of being stuck you are one of the biggest ones and the most challenging is business partner stuck so that's a combination of relationship business and money seems like all those show up in an ugly format sometimes and being able to detect what's really going on both from your present your past and your programming and how to undo that Yes, and you'll also learn what I call a 10-second miracle, which is something you can do in 10 seconds to get things unstuck and moving again. And I love to say, this is the result of it's your $10,000 question or your (laughs) $25,000 question. So you'll get all that and more in this episode, episode nine. Well, we're back again for another episode of The Big Leap, and this is about what to do when you're stuck, overwhelmed, anxious, out of time, frozen, and don't know what to do. I hope you're never in those spaces, but I bet, like me, you sometimes get into them. And we've got a couple of good maps to show you for how to get unstuck when you're stuck, whatever you're stuck in, whether it's a relationship issue or a business issue. I've uh, had experience in getting unstuck from many of those kinds of things, and I would love to share with you what I know. All right. And uh, one of the things that I was talking about right before the camera started to roll is um, something I've noticed in a lot of people I've worked with, especially in their reinvention stages or when they just can't get going. And these are super successful people who have had massive financial success, business success, but they're at that point in their in reinvention where a starting all over again, they'd rather be stuck than deal with the fear of not being as good as they once were, mm. so being compared to that. And one one example is Eddie Murphy. There's a lot of conversation about him right now. He was at top of his career, um, basically left, had a family. He's got a whole bunch of kids, um, made a bunch of basically rotten movies. Most of them were just junk, um, but he made a ton of money, and now he's out um, practicing stand-up again, and he's been open about the fact that it's he wishes he would never would have stopped stand-up because it's so hard but now he's going to be compared against the way he was Uh and um that so that's one side of this the other side of it is meeting people who are stuck in a place where um they just don't pull the trigger so they'd rather stay in a place of confusion, overwhelm, and not even going anywhere. And and I've seen this over and over again from a professional perspective. So I know you've got some amazing stories this time around, Gay, but at least that provides the basis for what we're, the path we're going to go down here. Yeah, usually what you feel stuck about is not actually what you think you feel stuck about. Mm. But a lot of times what you have to do, first of all, is simply acknowledge that you're stuck. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. hard to do for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why I think things in 12-step work so well for the people that it works for. If a person gets up there in front of the room and says, my name's John and I'm an alcoholic, that's kind of calling it like it is. It's, yeah. it's saying, here's the way it is. I'm not going to try to con you anymore. It. I own it. Mm-hmm. And that's a really uh, important thing in getting unstuck <clears throat> because oftentimes when you're feeling stuck, It's because there are old programs running from way back, one of which is, I don't deserve to be here. And a lot of people, when they're feeling stuck, haven't really chosen to be here. Mm -hmm. Because when you get, when you choose to be here, that means you're open for business 24 hours a day to whatever needs your attention. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people aren't willing to make that kind of commitment. They'd rather stay in a kind of a low, uh, low grade mediocrity all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, you know, growing up, 
I had I struggled with one thing with which was with, with my dad, who's a very good performer, very good singer. And I know I always had a resistance and a fear of um, being better than him. And I don't know if I could have been or would have been. He's a very talented singer, performer, entertainer. Um, but I grew up in that environment where it was around me all the time. <clears throat> and I always found alternatives in ways I could compete without competing. And I think that's definitely something that shaped and I limited my own uh, abilities. But I also, um, again, getting back to some of these bigger topics, which are um, the areas that we notice people are stuck in. So it's relationships, business, money, business partners, which is a combination of relationship, money, and business. Yes. Um, weight and diet. And ultimately, the things that block that. So one of the things that I know you promised, Gay, is a map for getting unstuck. And I'd like to explore that. And I'd also like to explore some specific stories and identify, you know, maybe go through a relationship, business money, business partner. And you've got a one of your own business partner stories you were in not long ago where you felt stuck. I've got a couple as well. And let's use this as a, a means to conduct our usual form of alchemy to build systems that um, can be used by our watchers and our listeners. Good. Well, let me first of all tell you that one time I had an experience with a client over the phone when I still lived in Colorado that really showed me how to get unstuck. And it was something that just occurred to me spontaneously in the moment. But I'll tell you what happened. Um, this, um, this guy, he was probably 35, 40 years of age, and he called me and he was really depressed. Things hadn't been going well. He'd had a couple of business setbacks and that kind of thing. And he was classically stuck to the point where his voice even sounded kind of mm, slowed mm, down yeah. and depressed. And I, I talked to him for a little while and just kind of listening to him, that kind of thing. But he didn't get unstuck from it until a particular intervention. He asked me if I had any suggestions and something popped into my mind. I said, on the way home today, you were thinking about all this, right? And he said, oh yeah, I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days. That's why I called you. And because I couldn't figure out any other way to get unstuck. And so um, I said, when you were on your way home today, did you notice anything that caught your attention? And he said, well, that's odd that you should say that. He said, because when I was coming, um, to my uh, apartment, to my condo, I passed by, I know an elderly lady that lives on the condo beneath me and the front of her area, the front porch and everything was kind of cluttered up and had some leaves on it and that kind of thing. And it occurred to me that I could brush it off and then I forgot about it. Mm. And I said, okay, go downstairs right now. I'm gonna stay on the phone, take your broom down, clean off her stuff, don't even bother to tell her, Just clean it off, and then come back up and tell me. And so he was gone for five or 10 minutes. He came back up and he sounded totally different. His voice had upticked to where he no longer had that kind of slow, depressive sound to it. What had occurred to me was he had gotten so caught up in recycling his own negative thoughts over and over again that he had forgotten to do what I call taking the out breath. In other words, you get so busy <gasps> that you never go <sighs> and take action out into the world. So you recycle your inner stuff over and over again and forget to take action out in a place in the world where it could make a difference. And so this was a really simple thing, but what it did was by asking him to think about something that he could do for someone else, it popped him out of all of the self-referential thinking mm. that goes into getting stuck. Yeah. Oh, man. That really hits home. I can tell you that um, in my experience, when I meet people who are depressed, the best cure, you know, Vivian's been doing this work in Uganda with just like my child. Now it's in uh, South Dakota, with the great Sioux nation and then also in India. And she started bringing along the sons and daughters of wealthy donors. Of course, yeah, the mass majority of kids these days, they suffer from some form of anxiety, depression, or some sort of inward focused thing, which is 
um, I'm going to go on a limb here and just call it what I think it is. Massive selfishness. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, and, and, and it's so apparent and obvious. And of course it's, you know, the parents are so used to the, the grind and then the kids are practicing selfishness all the time that once they get into an environment where these kids so you have to share because there's usually one thing to go around and there's no sense in fighting about it because there's just that one thing and you can't steal anything because if you have that one thing, you could sit and covet and hide it, I suppose, but you, there's nowhere to put it, <laughs> right? So, so a lot of the problems that humans have by having too much stuff are immediately they disappear. But Zach ultimately created this documentary about how a lot of Western kids are so completely self-absorbed and depressed and have so much available to them and take it for granted. And then these kids are really happy and, you know, they're part of a community and, you know, the act of doing great works for someone else is a great way to get out of depression. It's, it's like go out and, and uh, give away your time and, you know, however that manifests, but that is really interesting that, um, in this particular case, it was a great way to break that state mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that makes it, it makes a ton of sense. And <clears throat> if you, if I were going to go back to this notion, I know you have another example of a business venture that you were involved in where you got and were stuck and things turned weird on you. Yeah. Well, here's a good example of how, the results you get depend on the quality of the question you ask yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I got stuck, this goes back about five years now, and up until this particular thing that I'm going to talk about, I really hadn't had any business conflicts in many years. I'd uh, created the Spiritual Cinema Circle and took it to great success and then sold it to a, another business. And um, so I'd been working on that. And then a friend of mine uh, called me one day and asked me if I would invest a little money, it was twenty-five dollars or $30,000, into a project she had going, and she was uh, running, she'd done the classic entrepreneur's trap of spending all your money on development and then having a couple of bucks left over for marketing. Oops. <laughs> I'm sure you've <laughs> seen that a few thousand <laughs> times. Uh, but uh, anyway, she had stepped in the classic entrepreneur's trap, and uh, so anyway, I uh, gave her uh, some money to do that with and ended up with a piece of the business. And then she took the business off in a different direction than I had originally understood. And I saw the reasons why she was doing it, but I never really liked the way it was going. And I sort of went along for the ride and she got some other partners involved, one of which I developed a real conflict with and uh, he got angry a lot and uh, was always coming even though he teaches prosperity he was coming from this place of massive scarcity all the time you know yeah, didn't yeah. want to spend a penny on development or anything like that and so i was gradually getting disenchanted with being in the business and so getting out of it i ended up sort of buying my way out of it and uh, so that was my solution to dealing with it but what got me to the solution was sitting down on the floor one day and just, or sitting down in the corner on a cushion and just kind of breathing and being with it and asking myself a whole bunch of questions. And one question I asked myself is, of all the possible things I could be creating right now with, with this, why would I be creating conflict with this particular person? Mm. So that's a high quality question. Oh yeah. Because it takes it, because up until then, the question I'd been asking were low quality questions like, why is he doing this to me? Uh, yeah. Why is he such a pain in the butt? And <laughs> the guy's 75 years old, quit acting like a two year old, you know? And uh, cause he would literally throw temper tantrums when things weren't going his way. But anyway, the, um, the long story, I mean, the long and shot of it was that asking that question popped me loose from <clears throat> thinking it was somebody else's issue. Mm -hmm. And it put it in touch with, hmm, why did I create this? My answer to that, I realized, went way back into my childhood that he reminded me of a couple of rigid authority figures I'd had to interact with in my life growing up. My father died before I was born, and so I never, while my mother was pregnant with me, so I never knew my father. And afterwards, a succession of male authority figures, I saw a lot of authoritarian angry Southern men around mm -hmm. and a stuck Southern man is not a, 
a good thing, you know. Uh-huh. And so I kind of grew up with this things with male authority figures. And this guy was, you know, 10 years older than I was and that kind of thing that I got stuck with. And so I saw the kind of the primal pattern of why I would create conflict with that. But the whole thing didn't really smooth out until I asked that big question of, hmm, why would I be dreaming this up? Why would I be creating this particular reality? Mm. Soon as that cleared up, boom, it became very clear to me that all I needed to do was just write them a little check for my chunk of the business and let them go their separate way. And I was happy with it. And actually, the day after I got my part of the business back, I ended up selling it to some uh, someone else, their portion of it for like 10 times what I had had to pay for it. And so yeah. it turned into a big win for me. It's fortunately the last business conflict I've really had, or relationship conflict, uh, conflict for that matter. But um, the the point I want to leave is it's all about the quality of the question you ask and keep your questions out of things that involve you. Like, why is it your fault is not a yeah. good question. Right, right. No, that's, um, that's super powerful. I think um, what Vivian and I have really been working on lately in our lives is um, paying attention to our rules, um, what are, or rather our values, our value system, and being rigid with our value system about what's important and not important. And then anytime, uh, and this is something we learned from a therapist we've been working with, who instead of ever blaming the other person or talking to them about their behaviors, just say, here are my values and here's how I feel. Uh, and I can't compromise my values. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, here's what I'm experiencing and I can't allow this to occur. Mm -hmm. So then it's, it has nothing to do with the other person. And due to that, I cannot, I can no longer participate in this part of the relationship. So one of us is going to have to go. Um, and either I have to walk away, um, or you can live with whatever the consequences, but just know that I can't behave or participate in this experience or in this feeling any longer. And that's a great way to analyze, like, are there some, some specific values that you simply can't live with that you, you see exhibited in another party? That's really an important thing though, because I love that because asking yourself, what are my values and how, Am I compromising my values in this situation? Mm-hmm. That's another one of those powerful self-reference questions to yeah. ask yourself. Um, I, having heard that, I realized that I got out of the business because it did offend my principles. You know, there were things about that were going on that I don't deal with. And so I tried to put up with that for a while. But I'm not good at putting up with things. You know, I can put up with them about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I've mentioned that in a previous episode. You know, you always have walkaway power. That'll be like, nope, I don't feel right right now. And you just get up and go. That'll be the end of that. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it is a very powerful um, character trait that I know you've spent a lot of time developing. So let's go down another uh, level And this is something you told me right before we started recording this episode, which is the things you complain about the most are the things you are most committed to. Wow, is that a heady one. So I'm going to repeat it again, and I'd love you to tell a story to introduce this, and then let's dissect this, because I think this will be a way to get to, again, some of these different kinds of stuck. So the things you complain about the most are the things you are most committed to. The things oh. you are most unconsciously committed to, usually. Right. Because if you ask, um, well, I, I used to be overweight. And when people would ask me, why was I fat? Why was I overweight? I had some good, ready reason for that. Oh, I have glandular problems. And I never said to another person, it's because I eat too much of the wrong kind of food. You know, <laughs> I was 24 when I realized that finally, you know, and then within a, within a year, I lost a hundred and some pounds and I uh, got to my current weight. And so, um, but it's that, what are you resisting? What kind of feedback are you resisting, you know, about yourself? Um, I also, um, I want to tell another story about, um, how to get unstuck that involves um, complaining about something because I was once working with a couple and, and we have um, 
in our institute, couples will often t- come from out of town or out of state or something to uh, work with us for a day or three days sometimes on their relationship. So we had a couple, and his complaint was, you went out of town and you had a one-night stand and broke our marriage vows. That was the coming-in problem. And her response to that for the past six months had been apology, apology, apology. But he was still in that self-righteous anger. It hadn't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they, they came in, uh, flew in, and we worked with him. And the first day didn't go really well because he was still stuck in that, You're the, you, you ruined my life kind of thing. You ruined our marriage. On the second day, we had this huge breakthrough when I brought up this question. And I said to him, of all the possible things that you could have created over the past six months with your wife, why would you, th- you think of created the situation of your wife going out of town and having a one-night stand? And first of all, I always say, be sure you're charging an appropriate amount of money when you ask that question. You know, so anyway, in those days, it was a $10,000 question I asked him because he got $10,000 worth of angry. But once he settled down, really, what happened was he realized, he said, oh, does it have anything to do with this? And then he said, when I was four years old, my father ran off with another man and my, I mean, my mother ran off with another man and my father raised the four of us afterwards as a single parent. And he said, every day of my life, I heard women can't be trusted. Women will dump you. Women will cheat on you. And anyway, this guy had kind of absorbed that as a child and it came to light now 30 years Mm -hmm. later. And that's the power of early programming. You know, something gets down in your skin and bones like that, and then Mm -hmm. it just happens to you, and you think the world is doing it to you, but you don't realize what the real issue is until you say, hmm, why would I be dreaming up that particular reality? Here's the amazing thing that happened. As soon as he had that realization, he also remembered, oh, I guess I got to tell you, I had a one-night stand myself one time a couple of years ago. Boom. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Now, she went off like a 4th of July <laughs> cherry bomb, yeah, boom. And uh, so... Um, bang, 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 goes the, cl- the trolley. Yeah. <laughs> Ding, dong, dong, or whatever that song goes. So anyway, yeah. 18 hours later, when they finally walked out the door, they had both taken responsibility for dreaming up the conflict and were committed oh. to going off again and, and recreating a positive relationship. It had a happy ending that time. We get a happy ending about one time out of five with couples that come to us. And I'm, I'm happy with that statistic. I used to feel a little, well, I wish I could help everybody. But uh, I, one out of five people come in and either they've let it go too long, they can't revive it mm-hmm, in a relationship, mm-hmm. or maybe they, it, they haven't let it go too long, but they're not willing to do the work that needs to be done yeah. to dig out of the trough. Oh, yeah. No, that's... Uh, um, I really get that on a profound level, mm-hmm. having having danced in the, um, you know, like negotiating all aspects of, you know, I, I was married, I had a starter marriage and um, having gone through that. And then Vivian and I have had our stack and share of crazy, um, crazy challenges and testing our boundaries. You know, after 18 years, you really, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to test a lot of stuff. And as I like to say, this, this means a lot of things, but being able to have an honest conversation and with the willingness to renegotiate every part of your relationship, even the ones that terrify you most, um, that is a hard-ass conversation. And um, one thing, uh, depending on, we'll, we'll come back to it, but I, I do want to get back to this whole idea of the things you complain about the most um, because I can see how like you can have some epigenetic programming or some, some generational programming or recency programming or, or childhood programming enter into that where, you know, having a father playing back a bad record over and over, you know, you may find a way unconsciously to create a circumstance to make that, truth real yes 
And that's really what you're talking about here. So, um, so the, the secret yeah. to enlightenment is to listen carefully to the things you complain about and then ask yourself, hmm, why would I have dreamed those up? Where would I have gotten unconsciously committed to creating a lack of success or to creating misery in my marriage? Where would I have gotten that idea? That's an innocent wonder inquiry. Notice I'm not saying, what's wrong with me? Or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. why am I being like this? It's got to be done in a, in a ceremony of innocence. The yeah. inquiry has to be done from wonder rather than fear or anger. Well, I guess this comes back to that tone that we talked about in a previous episode, which is, hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, being able to align the two halves of our brain simultaneously and have a moment which, uh, um, that's almost a hmm. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that they invented mantras and things like that is because they unify the hemispheres. Because scientifically, if you hum, you're getting action from both sides of yeah. the uh, deck. Um, one of the things also, you know, we talked about fear a lot of times, but it's down at the bottom of a lot of the things that really bother us. And even if you look at how your body is assembled emotion-wise, a lot of your anger muscles that tense up when you're angry in your jaws, shoulders, uh, back of the neck, they're up in your body. Yeah. Things that you feel when you're feeling sadness are more down in the center of your chest. You might feel uh, kind of a heaviness or a lump in your throat kind of feeling. And then fear is way down there where those butterfly sensations are and where that tight belly is. And so I've, I think of the body being stacked with emotion like that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. fear being down at the bottom of it. Yeah. Like we had one fellow told us that, um, in fact, I think it's on one of our websites somewhere that the, the word, he changed his marriage with one word that we taught him. Wow. And it was, I pointed out to him that every time you're angry at your wife, Robert, you're also scared but you rag on her all the time with the anger and you never tell her what you're sad about or scared about. As soon as he started saying to her, honey, I'm scared that instead of I'm mad that you're, it took him out of that pointing the finger kind of thing. And they could actually solve some problems because nobody likes to have the finger pointed at them. The Mm -hmm. moment a person says you're to blame for my problems, what are you going to do? You're going to look back at him and say, you know, you're absolutely right. I am totally to blame for your problem. No, you're going to be defensive. You're going to say, no, you've got a stake in this too. Okay, there's a, a really important distinction, two of them that popped up here. One of them is, I'm going to go back to what you just talked about where your emotions get stacked inside your body. In episode eight, we talked about the emotional genius dashboard and the whole idea of learning to decode what's going on inside of you meaning the, the non-physical you. In other words, I think of this as the body as a dashboard you can learn to read and see the distinction between your soul, your spirit, or whatever it is that is the real you versus the outward physical you. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. If you haven't listened to episode eight, definitely go back to that. And the next one, when you're just talking about um, being honest <clears throat> with your emotions. So this is back to what happened with our son, Zach. So what, where we've been stuck for a long time with him is this negotiating. He's a really good negotiator. You know, if you, you just imagine being brought up with, with Vivian who can spot everything that's going on and she's, she's like, a, uh, she can predict the future and she sees what's going on long before it manifests. <laughs> and of course she tries to head most disasters off of the past before they occur. But that also means restrictive behavior as a parent um, for Zach. So he's been well-managed for a long time, and there's going to be a natural amount of pushback, resentment, or in his case, he negotiates, and he negotiates on the tiniest, tiniest, finest points. And I'm pretty matter-of-fact as a father. You know, it'll be like, yep, if you don't do it this way, you don't get this. Simple as that, and I just walk away. I leave it. You know, there's natural I, consequences. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. Man, a few words when it comes to that stuff, and and I don't mind being the bad guy. I'll be like, look, here's the here's the best way to make things work in our relationship. Don't piss off your mom. If she's happy, I'm happy, and I'd rather just do fun stuff with you. However, I'm the bad guy here, and you need to understand I'm the enforcer. So when bad news is going to come, it's going to come from me, and I'll enforce it. So we've kind of got that down. However, 
when we started managing based upon values, which is a brand new thing with us, um, one of the things that Vivian started doing is she'd say, okay, um, for me, I'm not going to compromise who I am and my values. And there are consequences to operating outside of our value set in this family. And you can do whatever you want to do. You're almost an adult. And if these things don't happen, we're not going to invest in the extras, in what are what we consider to be, um, uh, you know, the non-essentials. In other words, the car, the phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to pick you up and drop you off. We'll take away the phone because we're not going to invest in the privileges. Mm-hmm. And these are investments for us. Um, and anyway, what happened that really turned things around besides um, not giving him a foothold because our values are our values, but she, she would be honest about how she felt. She said, when this happens and my values are compromised, I feel um, fear. Mm-hmm. You know, the way you show up scares me and I, I don't like the way I feel. And when I've compromised myself and I, and I subject myself to this because I've compromised my values and that opened up a whole new layer of conversation and adult-like behavior. And Zach suddenly really, really got um, much more sensitized to how his behaviors and actions and, and how similar his values are with ours and how that would affect his mother. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come from a place of manipulation. It was purely pure truth. And it's really opened up a big, deep possibility in our relationship as a family, you know? And so, um, I, I, I bring that up because in thinking about getting unstuck, one of the hardest things to manage is a relationship with a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine what it's like with a teenage girl. We're lucky with a teenage boy who's, uh, you know, pretty easy by all standards, but uh, well, I've, I've I don't know if you have any commentary on that, but yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's been a while, but um, <clears throat> yes. Well, I remember the um, uh, famous uh, psychiatrist, hypnotist, Mir- uh, Milton Erickson was great influence on me. Uh, one of his colleagues pointed out that the reason Milton Erickson was such a great psychiatrist is because he had two marriages and four kids in each marriage. And so he had an adolescent in the home for something like 25 oh, years. God, <laughs> so, <laughs> He was a genius. I, apparently this guy's never heard of Harry Carey before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thing you have to understand about teenagers and the thing I didn't know about myself when I was a teenager is that I was so hungry to be gone. I was, oh, I was God, so yeah. desperate to be out of there, but I felt so incredibly powerless at how to get out of there, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. so I, I think I was, I ate myself up more. I didn't act out so much, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I really made myself miserable. And I made my mother miserable about arguing all the time mm-hmm. um, with her. Uh, I was a pretty good negotiator myself. I imagine and, uh, she had sort of Old Testament values that my liberal soul rebelled against. <laughs> I get it, I get it. All right, so you ready for the next thing that you talked about, the four expressions of fear and how they show up and keep you stuck. So that's really where I want to get back to, again, the, the big ones through my lens, which are relationship, business, money, business partner, weight, diet. And I know there's a whole bunch of other places um, for me I see it in a form of reinvention from a professional perspective. When people uh, want to relaunch, they've, they've been in a career a long time. They want to do something different, but they return to the comfortable. Mm-hmm. I call it the poopy diaper syndrome, which is most people would rather smell their own poop then um, change their diapers. <laughs> and, and that's just like, they'll just sit in their, in their filth or they'll return to their filth because it's, it's the smell they know. Yeah, it's the upper limit problem in a way. If you start feeling a little more juice through your system or through your marriage or through your business, a lot of times if you haven't um, done some work on yourself, you'll shut yourself down with an upper limit. Well, the reason fear is so important is because it has four different ways of showing up. Everybody's heard about fight or flight. In other words, some people, when they're scared, they come out swinging. They're Some people, when they're scared, go the other direction. They shrink and they run go away. away. Yeah, they run yeah. away. 
But what a lot of people don't understand is that fear has two other ways it show up, and, and we call it the four Fs. Freeze, flight, faint, flee. In other words, people are either freezing, in other words, they get, <gasps> and they can't think of what to do when they get scared, or sometimes they get fainty, they get spacey in the head. They get the urge to go watch an old Star Trek episode or get the urge to smoke a joint and space out. It, it's a version of fainting. Um, and certain animals do this when they're under stress, you know, like uh, they'll roll up into a ball and go to sleep yeah, uh -huh. and so they won't get bothered. And so you got to look at which one of those four expressions you mm. tend to operate out of. So on the dashboard, Let's make sure we have a thing of, am I in faint right now? Am I in freeze right now? Am I in flee or am I in fight right now? Because all of them can be dealt with by what I call a 10-second miracle, which is to open your mouth and simply say it like it is. I'm scared right now. And sometimes it's, I'm scared and I don't know why I'm scared. And I remember this conversation recently with... Um, See, your teenage children can also someday be 45 or 50 years old. Because uh, I was having a conversation the other day with my 50-year-old daughter, and it was basically around a similar issue. You know, like how uh, she was telling me about something that wasn't going right in her life. And I was asking her, okay, what kind of fear are you feeling right now, and what are you dealing with it? And so we got down into what the fear was, and like I say, it's down in the bottom of your feeling zone, down in your belly, and so it's a very primal kind of thing. But once you can name your fear and also realize what expression of it you're coming forth with, you're better equipped with more awareness next time you go into a troublesome situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, so talk a little bit about fear of outshining mm. as well. And how that keeps folks stuck. Yes, it's a big problem, especially with people in, uh, if you're in a transformational field or, or just about any field. And I always say, uh, usually you've grown up with brothers and sisters if you have a fear of outshining. Because often the early programming is about not outshining one of your other family members. Sometimes it can be your dad, sometimes it can be your mom, but there's a Often it's about brothers and sisters, like there'll be a golden boy or golden girl in the family, and you're not supposed to outshine that person. So that's a common theme in a lot of people's background. But even if you didn't grow up in that circumstance, you can develop a fear that if you shine, you have a, a belief that it detracts from other people's shining. And so the antidote to that is to give yourself permission to shine fully and also let that inspire other people to shine. Take it out of the self-referential part of it and extend it out to other people. Okay. Uh, here's another one. Um, let's talk about money stuckness. And there's a variety of them. So I'll give you a couple scenarios. One of them are <clears throat> a fear of investing, for example. Fear of losing money, which you hear often of uh, someone who's older who loses all their savings. They get a scam or some sort of a bad investment or something like that. And to me, one of the things that's happened is they've resolved the fact that they're no longer useful or they can't get it back mm -hmm. or what that represents. So it's the story you talk about your money, but also think about um, fear of investing in, and here's, here's a grand example. Look at an economy, for example, if you look at history for lifetimes, the economy's always gotten better in the grand scheme of things. And if you just invested constantly and stayed in the game, you'd be ahead, statistically speaking, for the most part, right? Yeah, and if you bought a share of uh, Warren Buffett back in the 50s for $13, it'd be worth $225,000 right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And and uh, and the list goes on, but I'm, I'm curious, looking through the lens of fear and complaining and getting stuck and looking at the map. Talk a little bit about money through that lens of either not being able to ask for it, um, the fear of loss, um, fear of making it back. Like what, what do you have, have you found in your years of therapy and observation, also getting over your own side because you've got a great relationship with money? Yes, well, one thing to keep in mind, I always tell people that 
money problems don't have anything to do with money and sex problems don't have anything to do with sex. And they always say, well, <laughs> here's why. When you're dealing with money issues, you're really dealing with things like control. You're not dealing with money. You're dealing with a fear of being out of control or a fear or, or a need to be too much in control. So it's an issue that got laid down, the tracks for it got laid down early on, and you're just projecting it onto money. I've met tons of people who have lost tons of money, and it never had anything to do with the money itself. I had a fellow come in one time who had inherited a trust fund, and it was not a massive amount of money. I think it was uh, something like $750,000. And yet he had made these little investments, and his accountant said it was like the financial equivalent of the Vietnam War. You know, the guy just put more and more money into these stupid things, and he, he invested in his friend's business, and then he invested in his Aunt Martha's da-da-da and his cousin Jed's used car lot. Anyway, he, he, by the time I got him, he had whittled it down to a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And here was his great one-liner. He said, I'm beginning to wonder if it had something to do with me. <laughs> you know, and uh, well, that's a start, you know, just beginning to wonder, hmm, let's see, 17 women have left me in the past 13 years. I wonder if it has anything to do with me. So, so we looked into that. What could it have to do with? And I asked him my big magic question, my $10,000 question or 25000 or whatever the person is paying. It's, hmm, how am I responsible for dreaming up this? Of all the scenarios with my money, why would I dreamed up one where I whittled off 500000 of my inheritance from my father? And we massaged that issue a little bit, and the following awareness came up. Oh, I hate my father. Suddenly, oh, what's one way I can deal with my hatred for my father? He's obsessed with money, so why don't I waste all the money he gave me through that trust fund? That'll really show him, won't it? Yeah, that bastard. That bastard, I'll get him with my $500,000 I'm investing in proving he's wrong. (laughs) You know, and so looking at it from that perspective, it's something that his unconscious intention was not to grow his stash of money. It was to get back at somebody and use it to get back at somebody. And so you got to look, if you're creating negative results, hmm, of all the possible results, why might I be creating that particular result with my money? When that first dawned on me with my own money supply, I was, I was busily recycling a conversation in my head 40 years ago, which was, will I have enough money to get through to the end of the month? Mm-hmm. You know, and I saw that conversation echoing around in my head and I realized, oh, I'm recycling a conversation from 30 years ago that were circulated by people who'd just gone through the Great Depression and had just recovered from getting beat in the Civil War. You know, so they were three generations, I was the third generation away from people who'd been run out of town by losing the Civil War and had to move to a whole different state. And so naturally, I think early, I was broadcasting out into the world an unconscious intention to prove that there was something wrong with money in the world. Mm -hmm. And I go back to my grandmother's famous statement where she didn't trust the the greenback because it was Yankee money. The guys in Washington made it. And these were the guys that beat Robert E. Lee, her great hero in life. She worshiped only one person on earth and that was Robert E. Lee. And my grandfather was about 325 down on on the scale from that. But that was her gold standard of human beings was Robert E. Lee. So anyway, I had a lot of programming that was causing me to chase away money. And once I drop that, I always say, if you'll just slow down and let go of your programming, money will catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And if you stand there for a while, it'll really overwhelm you. All right. Beautiful. And um, if there was a way looking at this, um, the grand formula then for getting unstuck begins with asking the $10,000 question. Mm-hmm. That's the, the next one, becoming honest with um, the fact that you're afraid and really feeling into, you know, you can connect with your genius dashboard, your emotional dash, dashboard of what kind of fear and how do you react and you, do you respond to it? And then um, 
from there, really understanding the origin of where this programming came from and how that's showing up. So is there anything else that I'm missing here if we were going to summarize our grand lessons here? Another way to get unstuck that I mentioned with the, the guy sweeping his, um, uh, his oh, uh, yeah. person downstairs uh, condo front porch, the idea of getting something outside yourself going, mm-hmm. doing something for someone else, or what I call taking the out breath. So you get yeah, so exhale. stuck on that <gasps> in panic and everything that you don't go <sighs> and complete that. And so whatever it takes to complete something, sometimes it's a 10 second communication to another person that will get things unstuck. I remember a couple that came in one time from a neighboring state who had had 29 straight years of recycling the same argument in their relationship. Oh, oh how do people put up with it? Because they raised four kids and, oh, you know, and so actually it was the kids leaving home that brought them in because as long as they were focused on raising the kids, right, they didn't course. have to look at the issue. But as soon as they departed, it was suddenly them sitting there looking at each other across the dining room table. And so, but here's the cure for that. It was looking each other in the eye and learning to say things like, I'm scared that dot, 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 or I'm sad that dot, dot, dot. What had kept them entrenched in the argument for 29 years was both of them always running for the victim position because when he would criticize her, then she would criticize him and it would go round and round and round. And they get there, you know, people can get adrenaline from hassles and arguments that feels sort of like being alive, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. not. The feeling of genuine aliveness is totally not about adrenaline. You can run on adrenaline maybe up until you're about 40, but by golly, you better figure out quickly when you're in your midlife area about finding another source of energy because that stuff will burn you up. Yeah, that's, um, I know what my observation is and in many people I've been around and with is the movement from one mini drama to another or external stimulation drama. And, and ha- is, it happens yeah. in marriages too. Yeah, for sure. That, um, we have a, a word we use, um, couples oftentimes fight instead of having good sex. They have very stimulating arguments, but very boring sex. Mm-hmm. And it's because we're, they're having what I call wargasms. They're having their adrenaline rush when they're having an argument instead of having a whole body rush of aliveness when they're having great sex. That's good. That's good. I love that one. That's very powerful. Don't settle for wargasms, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you meddling kids. I love that. That's very good. All right. So let's, um, let's bring this back around, which is I've got an ask and I know you do too. One of them is you've got this, um, new product it's living miracles and i want to incentivize um our audience to head on over and rate and review the podcast we're going to select someone to send uh this deck to can you describe what this deck is and what it's about yes it's called living miracles and one of my wonderful graduates of our program and just a wonderful entrepreneur in her own um, right named Susie Batiz. From Poopery. From Poopery, yes. She invented this great business. And uh, we've known Susie for many years, and she's been to all of our seminars and had a number of times to talk to me on the phone and FaceTime and that kind of thing. And as a celebration of my 75th birthday recently, she spent a half a year having a team put together this deck of living miracles, it's essential wisdom from Gay Hendricks, and it's all about a whole bunch of different categories where people get stuck in and things I've said to get you unstuck, like relationship and money and uh, weight and all of the kinds of things that you might get stuck in. You can pull out a card and it has a piece of living wisdom on it that's helped somebody um, change their lives. And so it's got hundreds of different things in it. And uh, I love it because it's just so beautiful to look at. Yeah, great artwork. So much fun. You can uh, pull out cards that have to do with the categories and that kind of thing. I'm having trouble extracting them now because it... Zip it out because I actually uh, popped them back in. Yeah, I have uh, arthritis in my thumbs from typing 55 books or whatever it is over the years. So I have trouble... Here's a stack. Yes. Okay, so like, for example, here's a stack called uh, The Joy of Genius. And you just open up to it and pull out a card and say, hmm, hmm, 
You might look at one that says, genius is addictive. The more you express it, the more you want to express it. Mm -hmm. That's why we ask people to start with 10 minutes a day of just sitting still and asking themselves, Mm -hmm. what is my genius? What is my joy? What is my true genius? And don't focus on the answer. Focus on just wondering the question. And to me, all problems boil down to a sweaty conversation you're trying to avoid having with another person or with yourself. And this will help take the sweat out of those conversations. I think they're brilliant. And what, again, I wanted to just encourage you to do is head on over um, to iTunes, look up The Big Leap, give this thing a rating, a review. Gay and I, or a member of our team, will look at it. First of all, we're going to read all your reviews as they come in, but it's an opportunity. We're going to capture it. Um, connect with you and get you a deck and we'll be giving away uh, at least one deck for every episode. And then the other thing to learn more about is uh, checking out Big Leap Live because one of the things that we've been requested to do, Gay and I have talked about, is actually conducting an event where we're going to put together a group of well, let's call them what they are, high-frequency aliens like us, (laughs) to um, create an enlightened experience where we work on all the aspects of your life that are covered in The Big Leap and also in Conscious Luck and how to increase your luck and teach the ninth principle, the one that isn't written about in Conscious Luck. It's something that can only be shared and expressed in a a right-fit live environment gay. Yes, and I'm very eager to talk about that. I uh, To explain that a little bit, we're, we're, the, the eight things that are in conscious luck are the things that I knew how to communicate in writing, but mm-hmm. there are some things that you have to create a vibrational experience in order for people to really get, and that's why I'm so excited about the ninth principle. All right, and here is that book, of course. Ta-da! Available um, on Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. So let's wrap this baby up. This is another episode. I am having a blast here, Gay, with uh, The Big Leap. So thanks. And when we come back, we're actually going to be talking about in episode 10, um, pride, fear of asking for help, support, and um, not feeling far enough along. It's another one of those upper limits challenges that everyone, no matter where you are, either deals with on a regular basis or um, this is when you get past that, overcome many, many growth potential challenges. I love it. Can't wait to talk about that. All right. 